Welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Menezes, and you are listening to The Art of Change, an educational podcast devoted to understanding how change happens at individual, systems, and organizational levels. This podcast has been developed by the Office of Community Engagement at McMaster University. If you are a student listening to this podcast as part of the Art of Change course, welcome to week 10. Today's episode is a case study of change in action, as we check in with students and community partners involved in the Art of Change course. Over the past several months, students have been listening to this podcast and working in small groups to plan a community dialogue on the topic of housing. More specifically, students have been working in four groups, focusing on the topics of inclusionary zoning and transit, intensification and affordability, housing displacement and supply, and amenities and wraparound services. Each of these student groups is working in partnership with members of the Just Recovery Hamilton Coalition. In the first half of this episode, we're engaging in conversation with Vithagen and Caitlin, two students in the Art of Change course who will speak more about their experiences planning for the dialogue and working with Just Recovery partners. Ananya Yadav, who works in the instructional team to develop the Art of Change course and podcast, will also join this conversation to provide further context. In the second half of this episode, we're speaking with two Just Recovery Coalition partners, Carl Andrus and Linda Lukasik, who you might recall from episodes two and three of this series. Carl and Linda will tell us more about how housing became the focus of the dialogue, what their experience has been working with students, and what they hope will come out of this collaboration. As we begin this episode, Ananya, Caitlin, and Vithagen introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Ananya Yadav, and uh, over the last year or so, I've been working on the instructional team for the Art of Change course, uh, and yeah. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Um, I am a student in the Art of Change course. So I've been in the class for the past few months, just working on our project. Hello, my name is Vithagen. I am a fourth year life sciences student in the Art of Change course, and I am part of the housing displacement and supply group. So to start us off, I'm wondering if Ananya, you can just take us through a little bit of what's been happening behind the scenes in this course. So for folks who've been listening to this podcast, but don't know quite as much about the project groups, you know, Vithagen mentioned that he's been working on a specific project group. What is the dialogue? What is the dialogue component and how did it come to be? So the idea for this course was always to hold some sort of dialogue. And this was to have students get an experience of applying the theories and concepts that they're learning in class and put that into real life practice and get them some experience of working with community partners and getting skills in planning and facilitating because this is a community engagement course. So that idea was always there, but the question always remained as to what that dialogue would look like like and what it would be about. So the way the idea came about for the collaboration with the Just Recovery Hamilton Coalition, because that's what the dialogue is now centered around, and it's kind of been focused into a dialogue about identifying opportunities for change regarding the housing issue in Hamilton. 
And the way that idea came together was actually through the Art of Change podcast. Um, we had actually interviewed Linda Lukasik and Carl Andrews for one of our interviews, along with other Just Recovery Hamilton partners. And after a while of that interview passing, we were as an instructional team sort of just thinking about what the dialogue could look like and, you know, what it would be about. And from that, from there is where Dave Heidebrecht, who is the instructor of the course, had the idea of a dialogue around the Just Recovery Hamilton Coalition. And that's sort of just where it started. We didn't know right away, you know, the exact focus of what it, that would look like, but that's where the ball started rolling. And Dave reached out to the coalition members just to gauge interest of if they would be willing to participate and what their participation could look like. And after some preliminary meetings, we found that some coalition members were interested in getting involved. And that's when Carl and Linda also decided to take a sort of more leading and active role as members of the steering committee uh, to help plan and bring a focus for the dialogue. A large part of the planning process for the dialogue was also kind of exploring this new tool, Miro, which is like an online virtual whiteboard workspace. It's also been a large part of the course itself where we sort of all as a class get on and do like podcast discussions and things like that on there. Um, but a large part of how housing was decided as a theme, and we sort of got into these four separate teams for the project groups, uh, was that this meeting was had on Nero with a bunch of coalition members from Just Recovery, and they brainstormed on there. So just to say that, you know, having a space to organize and put thoughts into visuals is great because it really helps. And that sort of helped um, reduce the chaos that we initially came into this with, or like what seemed like the unknown, it helped us go from the unknown to the known. And it's crazy because it began like, I feel like almost over a month ago now, and it's just getting more clarity now, and it's next week. The dialogue is next week, so I feel like we've had a, it, it's a short journey, but it feels like a long journey because of how uh, chaotic it felt in the beginning of not really knowing what was going on, and now we have a clear, focused dialogue event that will be held in a few days. Yeah, change is messy, right? I feel like that's become the mantra of this course and this podcast. Um, so turning then to Vithagen and Caitlin, you're both currently students in the Art of Change course. Could you speak a little bit about the issues that your project groups are focusing on right now? For sure. Um, as I mentioned previously, I'm part of the Housing Displacement and Supply Group. And basically our group is trying to tackle the issues associated with tenants losing their homes to either renovations or demovictions. And basically the definitions to those or when the landlord promises to complete renovations, then invite the tenants back or to demolish the building completely. And in both of those cases, tenants are being forced out of their homes and forced to find another place to live. And this is overall reducing the affordable housing stock as landlords and developers are building houses or new housing units that are becoming increasingly unaffordable for these tenants. And so, there's a lot of reasons behind this, whether it be LRT um, that's coming to Hamilton or gentrification. Um, and so what our group really wanted to hone in on was to see what policies are in place and what can be done from based on examples from other communities. So one that we really honed in on was the Burnaby's Tenant Assistance Plan. And basically that plan is to protect 
tenants from displacement due to rezoning development. And they kind of have a few main pillars associated to help tenants out of this predicament, whether it be finding a new place to rent, giving them rent top-up payments, or giving them financial assistance or support. And most importantly, giving them the right to come back to the new housing unit once it's been developed at the same price where they that they once paid for that unit. And so to prepare for the dialogue, what we're doing is kind of trying to hone in on that topic. So the Burnaby Tenant Assistance Plan and kind of try to figure out how a similar plan or a similar policy can be put into place in Hamilton. And with that goal and that key question in mind, we're trying to organize a discussion that will help kind of help us gather some ideas on the idea and how it can maybe be implemented in Hamilton. Um, so my group is focusing on wraparound services and amenities, which covers a lot of things. And so it's not just, you know, rent supports or helping people find appropriate housing, but it can also look like things like income supplements or healthcare, mental health support, um, physical health support, all of these things. So it's quite a large topic. And my group during the past few weeks, we've kind of been working to sort of narrow down our scope. And with the guidance of our community partners, we decided to focus in on two-on-one which is kind of a, a navigation service, like a database that you can either access online or through calling into 211. And our group decided uh, we would do kind of like a case study to see on kind of a basic level where some of the gaps in this 211 service might be, which might prevent people from being able to find affordable housing or being able to find the supports that they need to maintain their housing. So we hope that kind of the outcome of this dialogue would be gathering some ideas for how we can conduct like a greater gap analysis, whose voices we want to include in that in the future, and also hopefully informing some upcoming meetings that are happening with our community partners um, and partners that work with 211. So Caitlin, you mentioned a little bit about community partners work. And I know Vithijin, you also mentioned that you've been working with some folks in the Just Recovery Coalition. What has your experience been like working alongside Just Recovery partners? Um, it's been honestly a really great experience. Um, it's just been so nice to get their input on our ideas for the dialogue and also just we've learned so much from them about the kind of supports that are in place for people, but also the kind of issues that people face when trying to find supports. Yeah, and they really helped guide our dialogue project. And it's just overall been really amazing to work with our partners who are from the United Way and from YWCA. Yeah, and I would just love to echo those points. I've been working with Olivia O'Connor from Hamilton Acorn, and she's been like absolutely brilliant considering how complex of a topic housing is and how complex of a topic housing displacement and supply is. For us initially, it was difficult to know where we want to like focus our efforts in on and how to kind of hone in on one specific issue and or a few specific levers or opportunities for change. But Olivia kind of directed us in the right direction 
she's very knowledgeable about some of the stuff that's happening in Hamilton and she's been doing the groundwork for years so she's an expert and but she also knows stuff that's happening in other communities and what other communities are doing to kind of tackle the problem and how um we can advocate for that and implement those things here so I think not only was she able to give us a lot of advice but uh, in my personal opinion, she made me a lot more passionate about the topic and really made me see the topic in a new light and helped me understand more of what's happening in Hamilton and what the state of the affordable housing stock is like in Hamilton, what can be done. So having the opportunity to work with her and kind of get her expertise has been quite amazing. Yeah, I think for me, just speaking as a student who's taken some community engagement classes, that's a really exciting part. It's like you're working with people who are doing incredible work on the ground. Um, so I'm happy to hear that you folks have both had a really positive experience. I, I'm hoping to shift now. I know you both mentioned kind of briefly outcomes that you're hoping to come from this work, but as you look towards the dialogue in a week, which is probably coming up a little too fast uh, for anyone's liking, but in terms of the dialogue, but also just more broadly, what are you hoping comes from this project? I think broadly like a very ultimate goal um, which I don't know if we'll be able to achieve in our time frame is to kind of hopefully see an implementation of Burnaby British Columbia's tenant assistance plan here in Hamilton I think that's the broader goal but in terms of like our timeline I think just having a successful dialogue with some Just Recovery Coalition members and with other members of the community and other students just to kind of raise awareness on the issue and help people understand the issue in a new light and kind of understand that yeah this is a problem but it's not like it can't be fixed it's not like we can't do something about it and kind of just helping people get that understanding um that something can be done and we're coming up with ideas together next week so if you can come up with ideas there's no way it can't be implemented so kind of just helping raise that awareness and um yeah, help people understand that there is work to be done, but more importantly, that work can be done. Yeah, I'll definitely echo that point on raising awareness. Um, I feel like unless you're, you yourself are navigating these systems or you know someone personally who's navigating these systems, you don't necessarily realize how difficult and time-consuming it can be and how confusing it can be. So I think with our case study, like kind of one of our goals is to kind of raise some understanding about that, but then also looking towards getting people's input on what we can do to make systems navigation a little bit easier for people so that they do find the supports that they need. And obviously it's a very short time frame, so I don't think we expect us to exactly do anything and put anything in motion, but I think um, our work kind of lays a bit of groundwork for maybe a future analysis or future work looking at how we can improve our systems. So then looking forward, what are you or your project groups looking forward to as you kind of wrap up the last few weeks of this course? I think we're actually looking forward to the dialogue quite a bit. I know at first it was like a little intimidating, um, especially when we didn't know what we want to do. But now that we have a clear focus going into the dialogue and we know what kinds of questions we want to ask and what we want to focus in on, we're actually really excited to see what people have to say about the issue and about potentially implementing a policy here. 
um, trying to see what people have to say and then looking a few more weeks ahead, kind of coming up with the recommendations based on that discussion and kind of having the ability to sit down and analyze the results and analyze the discussion and see what some common themes are. Um, I think me and my group are really looking forward to that as well. Definitely have to agree with Bethogen on that. It, it was kind of scary at the beginning. We were like, wow, we have no idea what we're doing. Um, how do we even come up with ideas for this? But now that we're kind of coming towards the end of things, it's just really exciting to share what we've learned with the class and some community members and also get their input on what we've come up with. And yeah, definitely looking forward to kind of integrating all of the ideas that are shared during the dialogue into our final report. As our conversation with Ananya, Caitlin, and Vithijin comes to a close, we're jumping into a second conversation, this time with Carl and Linda, to learn about some of their experiences as project partners from the Just Recovery Hamilton Coalition. My name is uh, Carl Andrus. I'm the Community Benefits Manager with the Hamilton Community Benefits Network, a community labor coalition that came together to advocate for uh, systemic change through community benefits agreements, specifically from the Hamilton Light Rail Project. Hi, I'm Linda Lukasik. I'm the Executive Director of Environment Hamilton. We're an environmental not-for-profit with a mandate to provide Hamiltonians with knowledge and skills to enhance and protect the environment around them. We're very focused these days on working to build a climate resilient, inclusive future for our city. So since we last spoke, you've been involved more closely with the development of the Art of Change course and some of the things that students have been working on. And specifically, students have been working or focusing on housing as a theme in this course. I guess, really simply stated, why housing? Uh, why is this something that your organizations are working on, but also why is this something that you decided to work on with students? I, I can start. Sure. So I, I guess it, it all goes back to a couple of things. First off, there's an affordable housing crisis right now. It's all around us. Everybody's experiencing it. It has caused increased pressure and displacement across the city of Hamilton, the likes of which I have never seen in my lifetime as an activist in this city. So first off, that's that's kind of why we wanted to center, or at least uh, HCBN wanted to center uh, housing as the topic and specifically affordable housing. But beyond that, my advocacy uh, has been for geez, I don't know, quite a number of years now towards bringing the Hamilton Light Rail project to the city as a public transit and environmental investment in the city. However, with that higher order transit investment comes massive challenges in terms of displacement, affordability, and the <clears throat> acceleration of development along that, that new corridor of transit. So the very people that take the bus and use public transit are at risk being displaced by this very new rapid transit system that will make it easier for them to get around. So as an activist, I couldn't just leave my advocacy for LRT with just a completion and successful uh, checkbox of the project's arrival. And I really wanted to move into community benefits and talking about community benefits and complete communities on the corridor to continue that advocacy, seeing the LRT as one piece of city building that we need to do and addressing the challenges that come with this great investment in public transit in the city. And just to add to that, we've come at it, I guess, in both directions, you know, fighting for a firm urban boundary to protect prime farmland because we know for food security, that's a critical piece. And, and that then becomes a really powerful lever for change, that firm boundary that we've now managed to secure through 
political decision-making within the city um, really creates the environment to start to look at, well, what else do we need to do? Um, you know, how do we make sure we get more housing along that higher order transit so people can live more sustainably, ideally in a carbon neutral way? We know there's going to be more pressure for that development to happen, which is, which is a good thing. How do we open up low density urban neighborhoods to more housing? And that's certainly something we're interested in and something that is going to be a struggle. Clearly, there are some people who don't like that idea, but it's an important one to just for providing more housing options tapping into existing services in our city and building up the population in those neighborhoods so that we can enhance transit service. We can make those, those neighborhoods, those lower density neighborhoods, more climate resilient and ideally inclusive. So for us as an environmental organization, I'm glad that I have pals like Carl <laughs> who are out there working on this stuff because uh, we're all learning collectively about how we can bring our, our, our efforts together and there are synergies there that are really powerful for positive change in the right direction. Yeah, and that that intersection of environmental justice and mobility justice and the right to housing and housing as a human right is really at the, at the, the crux of what the Just Recovery Coalition came together to talk about and why the Art of Change course has been such a pleasure to participate in, to have a, another set of eyes to look at that intersectionality and explore the challenges and opportunities that come from an investment like the rail, light rail transit project and the firm urban boundary and remaking this city. I don't think that many folks in Hamilton have a real sense of the change that's coming in the next decade in this city, especially along that 14 kilometer corridor of the LRT, there is going to be massive, massive investment in terms of extra density. We're already seeing those cranes across the city. We're already seeing uh, large 30 story and 20 story buildings and smaller 10 story buildings, but the entire corridor has been zoned for the potential of massive increased density with ground floor commercial. And there's going to be change right across that spine. And unless we get a sense of figuring out, and this is where the Art of Change students are really providing us with some great, great services in terms of looking at what levers government have and what policies and positions that we can do to create that just change, that just recovery. We know that the LRT is going to be green. We know that it's going to pull cars off the street. We know it's going to increase density. Those are some great aspects of environmentalism, but I think we have to go one step further and look at that environmental justice lens and look at who's going to be displaced, what affordable housing is going to be created, what are the challenges that are coming with this great thing that's going to create a more urban environment, and what does that look like for folks with disabilities, what does that look like for folks who need deeply affordable housing. Those are the challenges of this change that I think the Art of Change class is, is giving us uh, some insight, especially uh, from a little bit of an outside perspective. When you work in these industries, you, you tend to view things sometimes a little negative. It's hard to view the change. Um, even in, in my own framing of LRT, I talk a lot about displacement. I talk a lot about gentrification. I talk a lot about the challenges of that change. Um, so it's sometimes nice to have a fresh set of eyes that students bring to look at the opportunity of that change. That so there is a flip side to this change, that it is going to be a transformative for the city and that maybe we can manage that transformative in a positive and progressive way. Yeah, and I would just add quickly, it's funny that Carl says that about, you know, taking the negative perspective, it feels to me with our big victory on the firm urban boundary, I keep saying to people, you know, I finally feel like I can focus on city building here. And my big hope, I think, for the students who are engaged in the course is that 
you know, interacting with them and giving them a chance to hear us talking about what we're trying to do and the different angles that we're coming at issues from um, will give them some insight into how all of us collectively out in the real world are, are trying to make change happen. And, and so I'm hopeful that they're finding that useful. I'm finding it's been really enjoyable to be able to share that with them. You know, that sort of, here's how we strategize, or here's how we look at this issue. And we've tried it from this direction and that direction. And here are the points, you know, the levers of, of change that, that we're testing out. Um, but also being able to share with them examples where we've successfully used levers of change and how sometimes, whew, you know, before you even realize it's going to happen, it happens. So I think that's been really good too. And, and hopefully beneficial for the students involved. So Linda, you mentioned the education piece, how it's been beneficial to kind of have these conversations with students. And Carl, also you mentioned the benefits of having student perspectives. But I also recognize that you both are very busy people with a lot of things on your plate. Why did you decide to participate in this course in this way? Um, and how is it benefiting perhaps some of the work that you're doing in your respective organizations? Well, I, I look at it from a couple of different perspectives. And the first one uh, is, of course, that having worked with the McMaster Office of Community Engagement before and had an opportunity with research shop and semester and residents to, to look at students, as I mentioned, having another perspective is always invaluable, especially a fresh, youthful perspective that can bring to a problem and to a challenge. But more than that, it's a little invigorating to see through the eyes of the students, their interpretation of the challenges of change in the city and to see them so engaged and 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 so passionate about these issues and diving into the work i get the sense from the art of change course because it's voluntary that the students aren't there just because they need to complete a credit as part of their degree but that they want a sense of what some of the work that we're doing in the real world is like some of the challenges and i also would like to comment that it's been really beneficial to have you know kind of an additional student resources they can spend a little bit of time on some research um, that maybe frees me up in, in my daily life to focus on on something else. So although there, there is a time commitment to working with these students, I think it's a net positive gain in terms of those little extra resources to kind of look at a problem in a different direction, but also kind of just to give you that uplifting light perspective that a fresh set of eyes brings to something that you're ensconced in. Yeah, I would echo what Carl said. We're so immersed in this day after day that you know, having that opportunity to sit down with a, a new group of people and describe the work that you're doing and to have that conversation about the change that you're trying to make, different people are going to raise different issues that, that they think you know, there needs to be some more attention focused on. So I've certainly had that experience interacting with the students. And I'll give one example. You know, we've been having conversations about low-density residential areas and trying to get more housing through second dwelling units and some other policy changes that are coming. And I know in, in my conversations with students right away, the, the students zeroed in on, oh, there are people who don't like that. And you need to be prepared to, you know, communicate the information and create the space for dialogue. And so I thought, well, you know, that's a really good point. I've, I've been kind of trying to put that in the back of my mind. That's going to be a major issue. But I, I think others outside of the issue probably can more clearly see, well, of course, people are going to push back, right? So I think for opportunities like that, this is really great. But I would also add, I'm just thinking about the buildup to March 21st and the conversation that we're going to have with a broader group of people, including, you know, our other peers from Just Recovery Hamilton. And I think that's huge value added for us as a collective 
but also for the students and you were bringing people in from outside as well. So I see no downside to the involvement in this process. For us, it's, it's an opportunity to get some research support, but also an opportunity to you know, be part of these conversations that are enriched through the different people who are sitting around the table. And these conversations specifically, you were uh, talking with groups of students, and I understand that you both are each focused on one theme. Could you maybe speak about what your group is focusing on? I could start this time, Carl, if you want. Um, sure. So my group has been talking about um, you know, we've had that conversation about the firm boundary, and then we've also been exploring what kind of, what does that lever do? And the conversations have moved around a number of items. We have talked about housing affordability, but not specifically with a focus on higher order transit, but more, I think, probably fair to say the focus has been in and around those low density urban neighborhoods and what could be happening there and what kinds of policy levers are there to help with that. So, so in Hamilton, we have some basic ones, but students in my group have also been looking at other jurisdictions like Portland, Oregon, for instance, where they've found creative ways to make sure that the gentle density that happens with these sorts of zoning changes, that some of which we already have in place in Hamilton, can be enhanced further through building you know, affordable units, building accessible units. So that kind of positive change. Yeah, and the group that I'm I'm working with in kind of the the thumbnail for us on, on talking about affordability and housing is focused very specifically on the LRT corridor and transit-oriented development. So it is almost a given that when you put a, a rapid transit line with dedicated stations uh, uh, in a city, that the area around those stations gets built up and gets built up heavily. It automatically brings all kinds of density and all kinds of investment around those higher order transit stations. It turns out that there are a lot of people who want to live in vertical buildings with nice walkable complete communities where they can be close to transit and they don't need to necessarily own a car in order to live in an urban environment. Um, so that development though has the potential to go unbridled and to create those kind of inequities that I've been talking about. So I wanted to ask uh, you know, the, these students their perspectives on what we could do to manage that development. What tools and levers are available through the municipal governments but maybe other levels of governments as well to, to really maximize the gain of affordable housing and to really offset some of that loss of deeply affordable housing that happens with the development that comes. Because unfortunately, when you're especially um, where the Hamilton LRT is being built, it's already a slightly built up area. There's a lot of mid-density along that corridor, very different than the kind of uh, density increases that Linda and Environment Hamilton might advocate for in the suburbs, where you'd be looking at a second dwelling unit or maybe you know three apartments in a building or a fourplex. That's pretty much all of the Hamilton LRT corridor already. So the kind of density that's coming to the Hamilton LRT corridor isn't going to be gentle. It is going to be much higher. We're looking, the entire corridor is zoned eight stories by right. At around transit stations, that that actually that height gets much higher. So we are looking at the, unfortunately needing to tear down some of the buildings around those or some of the or, or some of the lower density commercial strip plazas, but also along there are 
apartments above businesses. They're fourplexes. One of the, the uh, buildings that needed to be acquired for the Hamilton LRT by Metrolinx had 28 units. It was an old 1920s brownstone, um, you know, th a three-story building with a, a bunch of units in it. So though that building needed to be acquired for LRT and will probably be replaced by a, a much, much larger, more dense building. So what are the tools and mechanisms that municipalities can do to make sure that we're replacing that affordable housing that's being lost? Because the market doesn't generate affordable housing. It will never generate affordable housing unless it's told to. And one of those tools that we're looking at is, of course, an inclusionary zoning bylaw. It's a tool that the province has afforded the municipalities to um, leverage some of the development that's happening by setting aside a percentage of those units as affordable housing units. It's a tool that's used in many cities across North America. It's very new to be implemented here in Ontario. Toronto just passed its first bylaw, so it's a very new tool. So having the students look at other jurisdictions for best practices and outcomes is really handy when we're talking about using inclusionary zoning for that transit-oriented development along the corridor. So broadly speaking, we've talked about kind of big overarching goals of this project, obviously um, ensuring that Housing in Hamilton is affordable, sustainable, inclusive. But just looking to the 21st, which is already next week, and looking kind of at the short-term goals of this project, what do you hope the outcomes are? I, I guess I'm hoping for some inspiration for us as a collective moving forward. So I think about Just Recovery Hamilton and all of us working away. This is a really, to me, this is a really nice opportunity for us to have that conversation and then be able to critically reflect moving forward, but also to have some resources from the students, because we know that through this uh, course, we'll get papers prepared by the students through the, the subgroups that have been set up. And I think that will be really useful too, a sort of a, a documentation of the conversations that happened and the additional work that the students did that we all know we'll make good use of moving forward as we figure out as a collective and, and also as individual organizations active within Just Recovery Hamilton, just, you know, and figuring out what our next steps are in that art of change process that we're dabbling in every day in the, the work that we do in the city. Yeah, I, I would I would add to that by saying there's I, I talk a lot about this, the, the potential for change to come and the massive transformation that's going to be caused by the LRT, but more broadly by things like the firm urban boundary and the climate crisis, as well as the affordable housing crisis. So there's a nexus of change that's coming and we don't have a lot of time to advocate for tools to get it right. Now, exactly what those tools are and what we should be advocating for, we broadly know what we should be looking into but really having a, a hard policy look at different jurisdictions and different areas really helps to raise your focus, our advocacy uh, and what's possible. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, we'd like 100% of the units built along the LRT corridor to be deeply affordable. The reality of that is that's not a realistic ask. That's not going to happen. However, we can look at other jurisdictions and see what they did do and how they got it right and where and what those best practices are around the world that, so we can push that 
envelope in municipally here in the city and then at other levels of government as well to maximize using those levers. And in order to use those levers, we really need to know what they are with the most recent data. And that's what's really handy about these engaged students is, is just having that new set of eyes to go out and to go look at the most recent thing. I mean, I was in university, I hate to say it, you know, <clears throat> more than 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, I am not always up to date on, on the most uh, recent academic methods, although I try and continue my readings uh, as always, just again, having that fresh perspective to, to bring to to the change that's coming and to really figure out what we need to do as a collective and as an organization to maximize that deeply affordable housing. What are we asking our municipal leaders? What are we pressuring for? What are we asking residents to help support us in asking municipal leaders? Because that's another aspect of change. It's great to be able to present these outcome papers that our students are going to be produced and, you know, show them to, to leaders, show them to city staff, show them to city councillors, perhaps of provincial politicians, but without getting an engaged populace behind it who elects leaders that are interested in reviewing those or listening to groups like Just Recovery or Environment Hamilton or the Hamilton Community Benefits Network, we, we do, we're not going to be as successful in our advocacy as we could. So the other aspect is, of course, taking what we're learning through the eyes of, of the students as they learn it and then being able to replicate that learnings to the broader community, to take those examples of change that have been identified and then pitching them to the residents of the city of Hamilton and saying, you know, this is something you need to get behind because the city is changing and here's some reasons why and here's some other communities that are doing it this way and here's why, you know, we believe that this would be a positive outcome of the change. So having those students to really get into it and then because they're we're not dealing with subject matter experts, which is the other challenge for, uh, you know, folks like Environment Hamilton or HCBN, is we tend to get into the minutia of it. We dive very deep into, you know, some analysis. I can talk about the policy levers very specifically of the municipal act, of various sections of it, of various changes. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily make it easy to digest. So when you have to, to take a step back, explain that to a new group of students, you're forced to, once again, make it more accessible and to, to be able to transfer that knowledge to the students, you have to make that knowledge accessible so that they understand where, where you're coming from without the, the deep technical detail. And then they can go out, find out new sources, new avenues, new ideas, new ways, bring that back and help augment your work. As we wrap up this episode, we remind you to stay tuned next week where we will be focusing on visual art and social change. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art of Change. For more information about this podcast or The Art of Change course, please visit community.mcmaster.ca.